0: They are just rough drafts. A glimpse of what is to come, because God is still at work, writing plot twists, introducing new characters, and bringing good even from the most challenging circumstances. Join us as we see what God is up to in our stories. Here's your host, Matthew Hyatt. By now you know that today's
1: guest is one of my favorite people in the universe to abuse. Uh, She is my extra wife, my kid's extra mother. She is the founder of PALS. And she enjoys her God-given mission of tormenting me. Today's guest is the one and the only Monica Gossett. Monica, welcome. Thank you. How was that for an introduction? Pretty accurate. What people don't know is that you and I have an agreement okay, about your funeral. Right. So I'm going to get up at your funeral, and I'm going to talk about how gentle and quiet and timid... And mild-mannered you are, and whoever yells, this is the wrong funeral gets the inheritance, is that right? Gift cards. Gift I'd cards. like for them to get gift yeah. cards. Very good. Right. But you must be present to win. Pre- I'm assuming it's going to be Mike and one of my kids. Yeah, it's probably going to be Hannah.
2: Probably. She's going to like be checking her little pamphlet or getting up to look in. Oh, there won't be a coffin. So, yeah.
1: Well, I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Okay. And I know some of your story, but I know a lot of our people don't know Um, your story, so I'll just turn it to you. Monica, what's your God story?
2: Um, As I was telling you before, I've got a ton of places that I can look backwards and see where he worked. Um, Probably the first story that I was actually aware of him working was um, in the placement and adoption of our oldest daughter, Jessa. Um, Probably about a year and a half before she came along, I had been working at a doctor's office, came home one day and said, hey, I think I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to start a daycare. And Mike's like, "Uh, no,
1: (laughs) no, you're not. And I'm the first half of that I get. I'm going to quit my job. But the second part, I started a daycare.
2: It felt like the right thing to do. I had a friend who had a daughter who had a lot of heart problems, um, had to be given medicine regularly. Uh, Daycares just weren't going to do that. And so I thought, you know what? I'll just quit my job. I'll stay home and keep her, it'll be great. Mike, of course, you know, I deal with a lot of this seems like a great idea and he's the but what about money? Like that's not steady. Um yeah, he was logically concerned. We finally did agree that I could try it for a year, see how it went, and you know, twenty five years later here we are. Um during that time Well, before that, while I was at the doctor's office, one day I came home and said, hey, I think we should become foster parents. Total confusion, that look of, what is wrong with you? Uh, Somehow I talked him into doing it. We went through all the classes, we became foster parents. We had one uh, young man that was with us for a short period of time. Quickly learned that may not be what we wanted to do anymore, and so we stopped. during that time we were dealing with a lot of infertility issues. Um, we had decided, no, I had decided we really should have a baby. Um, and Mike, you know, finally wore him down and he's like, okay, we'll start trying. Um, did not go as planned, you know, thought that would be, I mean, I was willing to wait a few months, but probably about eight or nine months in, I'm like, okay, something's wrong. This is not, this is not what I thought we were going to do. So we went to the doctor and. Um, he basically laughed in my face and said, um, it could take up to a year, maybe longer. Um, it only happens, you know, in the back of a car when you're 16 years old the first time. And so we laughed about that and thought, okay, no big deal. No big deal. So month after month, year after year, no two pink lines. Um, for people who don't know what that journey's like, it is like, having the person you love the most die every 28 to 30 days. You build up this hope, you think this is gonna be the month, negative, and you grieve, and then you pick yourself up, you replenish that hope, and you go through that over
1: and over. That grief is such a weird grief because it's not, uh, you know, when grandma dies, She's a tailor, and you're there from noon till 4, and then they bring a casserole. But this grief is every month, and maybe nobody knows. Or,
2: Well, yeah, you don't share it. Um, And the other thing is that when Grandma passes away, Grandma was this tangible human being that you had created memories with. An unborn child was only tangible to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, every month you play... How am I going to react if I get two pink lines? Who will I tell first? How will we announce that? And then it's disappointment. And then you just do that over and over and over. And it is a little bit soul crushing. When I hear the story of Hannah in the Bible, and we almost are flippant, like he thought she was drunk, like she's praying to the point. He th- I'm thinking her soul was broken. She is grieving for something she has long dreamed of that every month isn't happening and that's hard. It's hard for the couple that's going through it. it's hard for the wife because that's totally different I think. It's hard for the husband because I don't really know why we're coming apart every month. Um, I don't think people honestly understand how hard that is and it's really it, it really puts a lot of strain on your marriage because I was grieving something Mike wasn't grieving. And so I don't know that he understood how every month that was just taking a little piece of me away. Um, I was also really angry during that time. You know, I teetered between, okay, God, this is not that hard. You do it every day. Just two pink lines, pregnancy test. And then it was no. And then I would become very hurt and angry towards him and just teetered back and forth
1: and back and forth. What did that anger look like?
2: It looked like a three year old who was at the checkout line who was just told, they were not in fact getting that bag of MMs.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Feet stomping, crying, hysterical anger.
1: Did you have a place where this came out or was this just was it just you and God? You know, was it was there a place in church? Was there a friend? Was it or was this just
2: Oh no, this know? was like <laughs> negative pregnancy test on the floor. In my bedroom, just screaming and yelling, and this is so unfair. Yeah. And then I think you pick up stuff through that journey. Um, there was a point that I'm like, is he punishing me? Like, have I done something that was the deal breaker that he says, nope, not going to happen for you? And it wasn't true. But that's what I thought at the time. You know, you go through all of this stuff and there's really no answer. So bad place. Then I decided let we do foster care, which I do think that was a god nudging for sure. And then move on forward, I decided I'm gonna be a daycare lady and I'm gonna take care of other people's kids.
1: Help me with the timeline. How far into infertility was foster care?
2: Uh probably like a year and a half, two years. Okay.
1: Back. And then how far in was daycare?
2: Uh probably about another year. So year and a half.
1: Three ish years.
2: Yeah, at least. Um, so I do all of that. I become a foster parent, decide, eh, not sure about this. So what we were doing is the phone rang. We had a house line. We would just check the caller ID and just wouldn't answer because we just weren't sure. And I wasn't really good at saying no, because when you ask me, can you give a home to a child? I'm not going to be good at saying no, but I didn't want to bring another child in until we were sure that's what we wanted to do. So I have a house full of kids just finished my first round of Clomid. We're going to medically try to have this baby. I'm wiping fingerprints off the hallway in my house and the phone rings. So instead of checking the caller ID, I go and grab it immediately because I'm afraid it's going to wake up all these kids that are asleep. And it's Phoebe, the very person we had been avoiding. And she says, Hey, how are you? Okay, so here's the situation. We have a two-day-old baby at Baptist Hospital that needs a home to go to tonight. And I'm like, okay, what time should I be at the hospital? And she's like, 630. And I'm like, okay, see you there. I hang up. I call my husband, who is out of town working. And I said, hey, Mike, guess what? Um, I just heard from Phoebe. And they have a two-day-old baby that's at Baptist that needs a place to come home to. And he starts, like, panicking. He has this woman who's been going through infertility who is suggesting that we should go get a two-day-old baby that he already knows I'm going to get attached to. And then if that child is reunited, he's going to have devastation on his hands. So he's being logical. You know, remember, you got five kids showing up in the morning. I mean, do we know, is there any problems with this? I mean, just total logic. And then all of a sudden, he stops. And said, "You did not call me to ask me if we should go get that baby, did you?" And I'm like, "Nope, picking her up at six thirty. Talk to you later. Love you. Bye." And I hang up. And I call my mom, and I'm like, "Mom, you are not going to believe what I'm doing tonight at six And she's like, "Knowing you, there's no telling." I'm like, "I'm going to pick up a baby from Baptist." And she's like, "No, you're not." And I'm like, "No, for real, I am." And she's like. Can i go i'm like absolutely
1: so like monica this is not how this works you don't just get to go order one
2: which is funny because my mom will tell you when i was a teenager and people talked about families i'm like oh, i mean i don't know that i necessarily want to be pregnant like if i could just get a phone call one day that's like hey we got an extra baby at the hospital you can have it that would be my preference and then this is exactly what happens they call and say hey we have this baby she needs a home i'm like i'm your girl so we go and get her A tiniest baby I had ever held in my life. She was about five and a half pounds. My mom is with me. I hold her for just a few minutes. They take her, put her in her car seat, strap her down. The nurses are squalling. These nurses were devastated. Um, Apparently, they had been coming in early for their shifts to rock her and bathe her and hold her and sing to her, staying late past their shifts. Um, So she was very well loved in that two-day interim between her birth and the day I got there. Um, I put her in the car. I bring her home. I, you know, am getting ready for bed. I pick her up and I fall apart. I mean, like deep grief because I'm so sorry. You know, at that moment, I'm like, this was God's plan. I'm throwing a fit like a child. And he's saying, just hang on. I have a plan. And it's not two lines on a pregnancy test. That's your plan. My plan is this. And I was really, really sorry. Like, I was truly repentant. Because it was, I mean, it was ridiculous. And then here he blessed me in spite of. Yeah, Um, We laugh. I tell Jessa all the time. You know, God's plan was, I have a woman who desperately wants to be a mother. And I have a baby who needs a mom. And there it worked. We bonded instantly which scared Mike to death. Um, <clears throat> he comes home the next day, walks in the door. He's like, okay, so where's she at? I'm like, let me get her. I go back there, get her out of her little bassinet. I bring her in. I hand her to him. He looks down and says, we'll do anything we can to keep her. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's a little different now that you're holding her.
1: Yeah, what happened to that speech about you'll get too attached?
2: Yeah, I think my exact words were, oh, you were a big talker, Betty Crocker, too. you got her in your arms and... I don't know. Like, I just had such peace about that. Picking her up, it never even occurred to me that it would be any different than it ended up being. Uh, Just peace. Um, So we had her, a well, we had her two weeks from her first birthday. Um, Parents' rights had been terminated at six months. Mom never made contact. She didn't see her in the hospital, never made contact for visitation. So they terminated her rights. If we had had her up to a year old, we would have been the first in line to adopt her. So they turn this over to the Center for Adoption, and that's where my story changes dramatically. So the Center for Adoption calls us and says, okay, like we're not sure, but maybe possibly there could be a half-sibling that's also in foster care. And we're like, Oh, you know, OK, we're not sure this mom used a ton of aliases, but it could be maybe possibly. We just don't know. So to fix that, we're just going to remove both of them and put them in a home together and see if they can be adopted together. And I'm, I'm I'm, like super confused at this point. Your
1: idea is that we need to reunify two kids who've never met each other. Right. That could or could not be half siblings. Were we at the stage for a DNA tests sort a thing yet? They weren't really prevalent by then, were they? Uh,
2: not that was never suggested, but it was honestly irrelevant. At this point, this child had been in this foster home for over two years. Yes. She had been with us almost a year. Um, I was devastated. I mean, like way past devastated. Um, I had to call all my daycare parents. I'm like, you're going to have to come get your children. I had vaguely told them what happened. Um, my friend, Bernard, I was, it was his daughter that I quit my job to keep shows up and just takes care of all of those kids till their parents get I was inconsolable this was my worst night and so you know I cried and cried and cried and then just I don't know all of a sudden I just stopped crying which is really weird because I started crying in my bedroom and when I stopped crying I was in the middle of my kitchen floor and I thought no this is this is not God's plan for us I know this And so then we just started pulling threads. Somebody would call. I don't even know who at this point suggested uh, Senator Doug Jackson at that time. They were like, you should reach out to him. He might be able to help you. And I'm like, "Okay." So I picked up the phone and called his office and his secretary answered. And I'm like, I need to talk to him. And she said, "Okay, hold on a minute. I'll put you through, which is not how I thought that was going to work, by the way. Yeah. And it didn't always work that way. Um, I talked to him for about probably 45 minutes to an hour, told him what was happening, and he said, "Mm, no, no, this doesn't seem right. I'm going out of town. I'll be back Monday or Tuesday, and this will be my first priority, and it was, and he was really, really helpful to us. Um, It was just a little startling. The Center for Adoptions thing was, we have to undo this wrong, but it's fine. I mean, she's only a year old. She'll never remember you. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, probably not. But I will forever remember her. It would be like having your child abducted. Yeah. And so I'm, you know, of course, I'm just devastated. Um. So he gets to work, and then, then we got a phone call either from um David Shepard, or I may have contacted him because someone suggested it, and he got involved. And then later, someone suggested Senator Frist's office, and that was really weird because I called and talked to his secretary. And never did talk to him. And I'm telling her this story and, and what's happening. And then, oddly enough, at the end, she says, you know, I was adopted when I was an infant. This just can't be. This is just wrong. Yeah. You know, we're sacrificing a family for impossible. This just is crazy. And so they all got involved. And one night, you know, I wasn't sleeping real well. Mike was still working out of town a lot. I was in my kitchen. And all of a sudden, my telephone rings. Of course, I answered it immediately because I have a sleeping child in the house. And this man, I can't even tell you his name, says to me, hey, I've heard what's going on. And let me tell you what to do. And I'm like, okay. He said, if you let them come pick her up, which they had said, we'll come get her sometime in the next two weeks. We'll call you. You'll pack her stuff. We'll come get her. That's the end of it. You've got to do something before that happens. So you probably need to reach out to Jennifer Roberts and let her help you. And, a legal cool attorney. Yes. And we had used her before um, in a different case. So being kind of crazy and, you know, desperate, I it's like nine o'clock at night. I pick up the phone and I call her house and she answers the phone. And I'm just like hysterical telling her all of this. Mm-hmm. I get to the end and she says, you actually don't have a problem I can see you in the morning. This is the retainer fee you're going to need. I'll file a restraining order. Oh, and don't ever call me at home again. And we laughed and hung up. Went in the next day, she filed a restraining order, which they called two days after we did that to come and get her for a visitation.
1: So you filed a restraining order against the State of Tennessee Adoption Center? Yes, we did. So that way they couldn't come on your property, couldn't take her? couldn't
2: Because what they were wanting to do is... You know, our stance was she's never even met this possible half-sibling. And so they were going to render that. They were just going to come get her, come get him, him, let them play at the playground, and then they could say they have, in fact, met. And so, you know, he called, and I was like, "Um, no, actually, we have a restraining order. And he was very rude, and um, I ended up giving him her number. He called her office. She got that completely taken care of. We never heard from him again. So whatever she said was very effective. Um. It, it was a really, really
1: crazy time. So how much time passed between the first phone call of, we're going to come take your kid, to the restraining order? Do you remember?
2: Um, Like four days.
1: Okay. What a long four days that was.
2: Oh, it was, it was a long next three months, really, because um, you're just kind of holding your breath, hoping nothing else goes wrong. It was just a crazy time. M- man was saying, I mean, she doesn't belong to you. We can do with her whatever we want. You can't stop that. And over and over and over, we watched God work through people. We watched God work around people. Mm -hmm. We watched systems get changed because of this. I mean, it was absolutely awe-inspiring. I mean, you just couldn't help but stand there with your mouth open at what was going on because there was no other explanation. Mm -hmm. The people in charge said no. No. And then God starts working, and like things just start falling. So devastated by her first birthday, we already knew that um, we would, in fact, get to adopt her; that it would not be contested. Okay. So that was a huge, that was a huge turnaround um, in just a few weeks. Of course, that wasn't verified until we went to court, but they didn't contest our adoption, and we were able to adopt her that day.
1: I mean, I guess we know sort of how the story turns out. We've we've met Jessa. Yeah. She still claims you. Yes, most of the time. You still claim her. Most of the time. What was the big lesson in this?
2: Uh, the power of prayer. I don't think, I mean, even though I had been to church throughout my life and I had heard that talked about, I don't know that I had ever actually experienced it or witnessed it in that type of profound setting. We knew, I mean, you know... When you start talking about this mother who has had this child that she adores and cherishes having that child ripped from her arms, you have people willing to pray. So we knew there was tons of churches praying for us, tons of people praying for us. And then we started watching him work. Probably the night that the man called, right before that, I remember standing in my kitchen Of course, you know, I was frequenting up and down the hall, opening her bedroom door, watching her sleep because I knew this could be it. This could be my last night of putting her to bed. And so, you know, I'm just crazy at this point and just trying to soak it in just in case. And I remember standing in the kitchen saying, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I have a piece that I should not have right now. And I'm not telling you that I'm going to be okay with this. But whether I get to keep her or it's your plan for her to go somewhere else, I won't stop serving you. And then the phone rang. You know, that was a profound moment for me, but I had to make that decision. Am I going to love him if he does what I want and gives me what I've begged for? Or will I just love him and trust him no matter what? And that's what I learned from that is that. It's not always going to go our way. For me, it was wonderful because it did work out. We got to legally keep her. You know, we've had her. She's 22 now, has her own child now. Um, That was profound. But for me, I had learned what faith actually meant. It wasn't some weird word like, you know, when all else fails, just have faith. I was, that's all I had was hope and faith because there was nothing I could do to change what was happening. It was, it was crazy. And then, weird enough, three years later, I get pregnant and have Hannah, you know. And so that had been seven years yeah. of infertility by the time she came along.
1: And then Mike said, no
0: more.
2: He said, um, that was our blessing. Like, God, Mike sees that blessing way different because Mike's like, God was kind enough to give us her first child And I only had to do one pregnancy with her because I'm pretty sure he wouldn't have done two.
1: (laughs) So Hannah's name, I assume, has some connection to the story of Hannah and Samuel.
2: No, Hannah's name come from a long, drawn-out fight with my husband for seven and a half months. (laughs) I like really weird and, you know, I wanted to name her Trinity. Mike shut that down really, really hard. I also like the name Briley. He shut that down really hard. So at seven and a half months, I'm like, we just need a name. And he said, I really like Hannah. And I'm like, done. So Mike actually named her. Her middle name is after me and my mom. Um, Jessa was named after Mike's mom and my grandmother. So it's an absolute crazy story. And it's hard for people to understand what those dark days look like.
1: I feel like when we tell it, there's no way to tell this story that really accurately captures the highs or the lows because there's so many of them. They're so close together.
2: Oh yeah. Like in you snap your fingers and we went from, we're never going to see this baby again. I'll never get to see her ride a bike. I will never get to see her go to prom. I'll miss her first day of school. I mean, in those days I am thinking of every single moment I'm not going to get to be a part of. And there's a lot of them, you know, from losing her first tooth then And it's been good for my kids, too. That story is a story that they love, and they love to hear, and they love to tell. And both of my kids are really open to that, even in their adult lives. That was a wonderful moment for us.
1: When I asked you about this podcast, your immediate answer was no, no, with a few other words around it. No, no,
2: no, not going to happen.
1: And one of the reasons was, you know, what are the girls going to think about this?
2: Or Jessa, you know, I was more, I mean, because really, this is Jessa's story. This was her life. Yeah. Um, And she was like, oh, you should definitely tell it's one of my favorites. I love that. When she was little, it was really funny. I had run into a lady at the CB store right after I got her. And I'm like, you know, I do hope to possibly adopt her. I'm like, what do I need to know? And she said, you need to know that she needs to know. I mean, she wasn't but a few days old. Um, That's her birth story. And so When she was little, that's the story we would tell her. I'd tell her the story about the phone ringing and I, you know, me and Nana going to the hospital to get her and all that. And so like when she was little, she had her own version of the story. And it sounded like, so one day the angels dropped me off at the hospital and called my mom and said, hey, your baby's at the hospital. If you could come and get her. And then my mama got in her car and came to the hospital to get me and My mama was so excited, but my nana, she just cried and cried because she just couldn't believe how beautiful and perfect I was. And then my mama brought me home, and my nana, every time she would hold me, would just cry and cry because she couldn't believe how perfect I was. And finally, my mama said, that is enough. You're going to drown this baby. And then my granddaddy said, well, that's just going to be my little baby girl. And that was her birth story.
1: Aww. That's perfect.
2: I mean, most of it was true. The angels did, in fact, not call me. It was the nurses. But, there but the nurse she was nurse. three or four. And we've, we've had a lot of questions about that. Like, why would you tell her that? She didn't even understand that. But our thing is, you know, secrets are the things you're ashamed of. And that was an amazing experience for us. And so we've always been open to talk about that.
1: Let me move you forward just a little bit. Um the thing that a lot of people around here know you for is PALS. Right. People are loving servants. Right. The uh, the league that you run that does uh, bowling and uh, baseball. baseball with pairing typical and special needs kids, so they kind of get an opportunity. Um, bridge these two stories together. How did, um, how did we get to the creation of PALS? Where did that come from?
2: Um, well, there had to be a lot of growth. Yeah. You know, I, through Jess's story, I learned prayer and faith were real not just Bible words, but they were real. Um, Years later, um, I guess it was, I started it when Hannah was in first grade. So it would have been shortly before that. I really felt called that God was really pushing me towards starting this. And so, you know, I was doing kind of the Moses thing where I'm like, "Uh, yeah, I don't think so. Like, I think it's a great idea. I just don't think I'm your girl. Yeah. And he said, well, you're going to. And he just, they just kept having the stirring just it I, I would try to forget about it I would run into somebody with a special needs kid and they're like you know what you should start a special needs league and I'm like yeah well I mean God thinks so too but no I don't think I'm going to I'm just not the person for that and so finally you know you just get to the point that you're like hey do you not have somebody better than me that can do this and the answer to my heart was yeah but you're who I said to do it so I thought I don't know anything about this never run anything like this before but okay I mean, I think the joke was, I think my last words before I agreed was, OK, but if this falls apart, it's on you because I told you I was not your person. And okay. I'm sure they all laughed up there in heaven and thought, OK, yeah, we'll take the blame like we don't know
1: what we're doing. Yeah.
2: Um, that started almost 13 years ago, It'll be 13 years this October. And it has just it's been
1: amazing. It has been so cool. Um I feel guilty sometimes as a church because sometimes I think we get credit for what you have done because people could the special needs outreach stuff that we do as a church, the trunk or treat, the egg hunt, um, the meal delivery of Valentine's with Pals's ministry, which is, it's its own thing, although we do stuff together. Same kids. Same kids, same parents, and same Monica between two of them.
2: Right. Um, that was a blessing for me, though. Um, being planted here was a big deal. I mean, for probably five years, I kept feeling like God was nudging me to replant myself. And I'm like, no, no, no. You know, I'm just going to work harder and I'm going to fill my own cup. And it just kept getting worse and worse. And what I realized is that, I mean, where I want to balk, I really do. You know, he'll call me to do stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I don't really want to do that. Um, He does not accept that answer. And so he just started letting me dry out until I had to do something and then he replanted me here and this church was so open and had the facilities to host the special needs ministries that i felt like were very important to that community i feel like regardless every child should have opportunities and pals kind of came to life through that my kids had started public school and it was every week every single week i opened a backpack and it was Here's a new opportunity
1: for your child. Here's Girl Scouts. Here's Taekwondo. Here's soccer. Here's basketball. Here's cheerleading. Here's whatever.
2: Softball. Um, I mean, just, it was ridiculous. And then there's this whole community of kids without those opportunities. And I'm like, that's that's not right. And so that tugged at my heart. And so basically God said, you're right. That's terrible. You should do something about it. And I'm like, oh, no, I didn't mean me. I meant someone should do something about that. And he's like, well, no, you know, you're here. And Really, what we need is some organizational skills. And you have those. Yeah. And so, I mean, Powell's has been amazing. And to be honest, you know, sometimes when people ask about it, they're like, what are your greatest hardships? And I'm like, finding all the kids.
1: Yeah.
2: We don't, I mean, that's not mine. That's his. And I know it's his because if it was mine, we would face the obstacles every single season. We just don't. Um, one year... I didn't know this, but before we started baseball, like within days of starting baseball, I've already signed these kids up. I've already got their shirts ready. We need insurance because we're playing at a city park. It was like $1,300 or $800 that, you know, I didn't have. And I'm like, I don't know what we're going to do. So I hang up with the gentleman I was talking to and I'm thinking, okay, you know, we're going to have to come up with this money. This has to happen. These kids are, you know, looking forward to this and they're anticipating this he calls me back in like an hour and says it's taken care of like him and two other people just split it and just paid it
1: that's so cool
2: that's a god moment yeah it happens
1: every year i wish more people would would get an opportunity to just come and watch uh you know the baseball is so cool uh bowling bowling's fun I think the baseball is the neatest. It may, Monica, this may be terrible of me to say, but it's just what in baseball, the different levels of ability are so obvious. Oh, absolutely. So you can really and truly see how the people help each other and how, ev- you know, in bowling, I mean, there's kids with no arms and no legs who are better at bowling than I am. So, I mean, it's, it's not.
2: When job. bowling's hard to watch, even for me, I can't be at 24 lanes at the same time. So I just run from one end to the other where. Baseball, I can stand in one spot and watch everyone. So I think that's so much more enjoyable. Baseball is more of a skill set, too. I mean, I have kids that show up on their first day. They cannot hit a ball in the air.
1: Okay, I still can't, so there's that.
2: And Keith will pitch and pitch and pitch, and they work and they work and they work until they can do it. And I'm like, it's weird. We'll have clubs of typical kids. Um, Dixon baseball team comes a lot. It's amazing those typical kids' reaction to that. I will never forget the first season they came. I'm running around the field playing with all my kids that are in the outfield. And this typical kid from the baseball team is like, hey, come here. So I walk over there and he's like, this is crazy. And I'm like, I know, it's pretty wonderful. And he's like, no, like that girl that was just up to bat, I counted. She She swung the bat 24 times before she hit the ball. Never got frustrated, never pouted, never felt sorry for herself. And he's like, you know, I've been in a batting slump and I've done nothing but tantrum and feel sorry for myself. And he was like, this was really good for me today. I'll be different when I go back.
1: And, you know, you think about the good it does for the special needs kids, but the good it does for the typical kids, the good it does for the special's parents to see that.
2: It's community. They need community. Being a special needs parent can be very lonely. Because, I mean, I could bring you 40 autistic children and their parents and none of them are on the same journey. Every child has their own strengths and weaknesses and things they have to overcome, but they have that
1: commonality. It gets so complicated because, you know, it's no big deal for me and Leslie to go to a restaurant. I I took Caleb to a meeting with me last night. I just handed him my phone and he played Katie Drew. I mean, it was all good. But when you've got kids who are nonverbal or kids who need special dietary or... All of this stuff, life gets so hard so quick. And the thing I love about PALS and the special needs ministries we've done at the church is, you know, my kids don't need more candy. But these kids, it makes all the difference in the world.
2: I remember the first time we did the trunk or treat, there were children who showed up that were 14 to 18, that that was the first time they'd ever had the opportunity to trick or
1: treat. Yeah, it was the first time their parents felt like it was safe for them to do it.
2: I mean, that's just something we take for granted when we have typically developed kids is that I can take them anywhere in Dixon and they'll be fine. But when you start adding in sensory issues and those types of things, they have to have a safe place to be them. And that's really what PALS is. If you're my typical kids at PALS, you're you're kind of the odd man out because at PALS, we celebrate those differences. They're quirky. They're funny. Um, I had a kid who is probably... Oh, a solid two feet taller than me and probably makes two of me hit a strike the other night and took off running towards me. And like all I could think was, don't tackle me. Don't tackle me. Please don't <laughs> tackle me. He was so excited, though. Yeah. It's those moments. That's what makes the whole thing worth it is sharing those moments.
1: And to be honest, um, not everybody's in a place where they know how to help at a place like this. True. You know, um, you have to be the sort of person who's not going to stand there and say, well, that was three strikes. You're out, Timmy. Right. You no. Know, you kind of have to be able to understand, no, this kid can have 20 if she needs them. Or
2: Sometimes that's my other special needs kids. Like I have kids that are like, I can't play baseball with you because you don't play by the rules. Yeah. And I'm like,
1: that's cool. Well, again, sometimes with some of the black and white thinking that comes with some versions of autism or or whatever it is, it's just just interesting. Uh, It's interesting to me to watch the volunteers trying to figure out, because it's just different than everything we do. You know, we're used to taking our kids and... Well, no, you can't cross the foul line when you're bowling. No, you got to wait till the... And like, PALS is chaos in a beautiful way.
2: The truth of it is, what I've learned through that ministry is we're doing it wrong. Yeah. We're totally doing it wrong. I have learned so much from that special needs community. And one of the things I've learned is we spend a lot of time in comparison, You know, state standard says this is how your kid's an A student and this is how your kid's a B student. And in that world, they don't play by those rules. I have parents who are like, my kid was four when they finally learned how to point to what they wanted. And we celebrated like it was the greatest thing ever because they had been working for a year and a half to do that. Yeah. Who cares? We get so stressed out about when are our kids going to walk and Will they make the cheer team? And will they make the volleyball teams? And honestly, you did not. You should have. Um, It doesn't matter. You know, My kids are going to bloom when it's time for my kids to bloom. And so I learned not to stress that stuff. And I was taught that in that community. They don't care when their kids do it. They just want their kids to do it.
1: And you want to find a group of parents that will move having a nurse for their kids. Absolutely. The, some of the biggest heroes in this county are those moms. And, dads. and
2: they're probably the most graceful and kind people. Um, you know, you're talking about their challenges. Other parents are the biggest challenge. I don't know. We're, we're a lot better than we used to be because of some of these programs. There's a lot of great things going on in Dixon, and I forget it's not like that everywhere. But other parents are actually the problem a lot of times. You know, you walk through Walmart and there's a child laying in the middle of the floor screaming at the top of their lungs. You glance over and roll your eyes, or you look at your child and you're like, Yeah, you would never act like that. You just make their world smaller and smaller and smaller. And I'm like, Just don't.
1: Robin Lampley taught me that, that phrase. I used it for a sermon last year sometimes, but she talked about the barriers for a church are stairs and stairs. S T A I R S, as in, you know, if there's a single curb, you just said to X percent of the population, You can't come in our building. And then S-T-A-R-E-S, when little Timmy acts up and you turn around and say, well, back in my day, mom would have torn me.
2: I have a friend who went to church with her family and they said to her, we would appreciate you not bringing him back until you can control him during service. And her, her son has autism. And I'm thinking, you know, it, and I think it's that old school mentality. I can remember when my kids were little, I was way too strict during church. But it was that, you know, you keep your kids under control because if there's someone here today who needs to hear the gospel and your kids are acting crazy, they're going to be a distraction. And I don't know, in my maturity as a Christian, I think, well, if that was just a one shot attempt, I think it'll be okay. Yeah. I mean, if that's the only way they were ever going to hear and respond to the gospel, that's that's pretty janky to begin with.
1: Do you think God is really that small? You
2: know? No. And I think he's like, y'all are playing religion. Let's try playing church. Yeah. I mean, what if our kids actually enjoyed going to that 45 minutes of service because we're not snatching them around because they're breathing too loud?
1: Yeah. And it's one of those pendulum things, too. You know, like growing up, you got beat if you made a noise. And then on the other end, there's some families that just don't seem to do anything whatsoever. You know, where's some middle ground to this stuff?
2: Well, I mean, what's the middle ground in a restaurant?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, I've been in a restaurant with people whose kids sat down and ate and acted like they had some home training. And I've been in restaurants with people who let their kids crawl under the table and, you know, basically tear the place apart. I mean, I think it's not a church thing. It's a life thing. And, you know, the daycare part of me will tell you how you practice is how you're going to play. Nothing funnier to me than to hear someone say, well, I don't know why they're doing that. They don't do that at home. And I'm thinking, I I bet they do. Kids are going to play. What you practice. You know, the reason you took your kids to a meeting last night is because we've practiced that for years. When's the appropriate time to be quiet? When do we sit down? When is it okay to be loud? When is it okay? You know, they just were trained to know it's not all about them.
1: Yeah, we've got some grown-ups who still need some of that training. Absolutely.
2: Do you offer that for us? No, I can do children. I'm not crazy about grown-ups. Yeah,
1: grown-ups are really overrated.
2: I think we call that, you know, my grown-up sessions are called you know the back porch you never want to have to go to the back porch when you
1: Um, go to monica's back porch you're you're
2: gonna have coffee and deep conversation that you may or may not enjoy
1: yeah leslie's had a few couch chats over the years with some people that have been kind of
2: yes yeah it's like intervention sometimes but it's out of love but yeah pals has been an absolute blessing for me that has literally nothing to do with me it was just a calling and I mean, I always say no, kind of like when you said, do you want to do a podcast? My first reaction is, of course, I don't want to do that. Um, I mean, that's the only reason I'm here today yeah. is he stirred all that up and said, yeah, you're going to. And I was like, OK, you know, as long as what you hear is look at what he did, yeah, then it's well worth coming to share that story because it honestly did not have anything to do with me. He put things before me and I responded yeah. and they worked out wonderfully and he put things before me. And it's so weird when I look at the timing of that, because if one piece of that had been before the piece it shouldn't have been before, the whole thing would have been different.
1: And just think, too, if much had been different in your story at all, you wouldn't have gotten to know me.
2: That's weird because that's another God moment. You know, y'all came into my life right after Mike's heart attack. And, you know, he's not sure if he's going to recover or if he's going to go back to work. And I'm not sure what's going to happen next. and a friend comes over from BBS and white bluff and we're having coffee and she's talking and she's talking about how Leslie's got to go back to work in two weeks. And she's really, really stressed because she can't find somewhere to leave her kids that, you know, she's not going to be worried. And I'm like, you know what? I'll watch those kids until, you know, another opening happens. And, um, I mean, I've had them, I'll pick them up here in just a few minutes. I mean, we're 10 years,
1: 10 years in. Now. Yes. And First Baptist still hasn't refunded. They, like
2: $5. Yeah, $5. but you <laughs> know, and really that's okay because we didn't really want them to go there anyway. <laughs> it's a good place. But and I place remember volunteering there. to take that first one and then, you know, bazinga, y'all pulled a, a second one on me. And I'm like, can I keep him and maybe she could go to First Baptist because I don't know if I can do two. And Leslie's like, absolutely not. It's both or none. And so I'm like, definitely both.
1: i got fixed so you shouldn't have to worry about this again
2: hallelujah because i'm really too old to keep doing this too much but honestly i love that and i think when i look backwards i do see a lot of god nudging and i see kind of why sometimes like yes that was probably a cockamamie idea to you know quit your 40-hour week job to come home and work twice as hard for half the money i get it i get where mike was coming from but that has been my ministry for 20 years, I have probably gotten to teach more Bible to those sweet children that have been in my home and learned more Bible Yeah, from, I mean, the best conversations happen at lunch when the three-year-old says, what color do you think, you know, the frubbery's going to be in heaven? And you have a 45-minute conversation about what do we think heaven's going to look like? Or maybe, I mean, who knows? Um, You know, Caleb and Katie like that deep deep thinking, you know, um, Caleb went through a phase where the valley of dry bones was his thing. And we talked a lot about that. And he wanted to know if some of the bones were dog bones. And when God put them back together, did they have dogs? And I'm like, I don't think so. I mean, the Bible says God raised up an army and he's like, yeah, but they have army dogs. And I'm like, I can't refute that. I don't know. We'll talk to God when we get to heaven. I mean, good question. But You do learn so much, and you learn to think deeply because of those kids. So I know that was part of God's ministry for me. Had we not done foster care and followed that nudging, we would have never gotten that phone call that day to go pick Jessa up. Um, So what I'm telling you is most of the stuff that Mike has rolled his eyes and had some serious questions actually have led us right where we are today.
1: I feel like we need to call Mike in to do a rebuttal or...
2: Oh, he's, his would be simple. would be the shortest podcast you ever do. He would be like, she's crazy, and I've gotten used to it. <laughs> and
0: I've gotten used to you it.
2: You know, like, she comes in, and nothing surprises me anymore. Um, At first, he really probably did think I was crazy. You know, and I came in and said, hey, you know, I think I'm going to start this special needs program. And he's like, what do you know about? I'm, I don't know anything about it. Yeah. But I feel like that's what I'm supposed to do. And so, you know, at first, he had a lot of questions, you know, because he likes to kind of make sh- sure things are like logical not me I'm, I'm just like pull the trigger let's see what happens um from there if i walked in tonight and said i think god is leading us to sell this house and move to honduras for two years i, I don't even know if he would question it anymore because yeah. we're just we're open to that and i think once you become open to that and you can hear his voice and discern his voice it's not quite as scary
1: so this is a big question okay uh, but Tell me how your faith has changed over the years.
2: Dramatically and the hard way. Yeah. Like the joke is, I know one day I'm going to die. I'm going to walk through those gates of heaven. I'm going to meet God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And they are going to be like, we love you so much, but you were sure a lot of work. <laughs> and it's going to be totally true. That's how my faith has been built. It, yeah. You know, when the Bible talks about precept upon precept and line upon line that is literally how my journey has been shaped um i've learned that he puts things before me in the weirdest ways um in class you know we were talking about how do we miss god's answers and i'm like well normally it's because i'm looking to the left when the answer is over here on the right i'm looking for billboards and you know firecrackers and you know this big thing and it's never that way it's a song it's a book it's a bible study um And that's how he's kind of built that. He kind of started stripping away all that religious nonsense that I had been taught and believed wholeheartedly and said, no, no, that's not what I want from you. And so I learned that I don't have to live for God's love. But if I live from it, better things happen. I don't live for my salvation. I live from it and better things happen. Um, And I just, when he calls me to do stuff, I try not to be just complete hard-headed and try to respond a little faster than I used to it used to take a long time
1: well there's a good biblical precedent for people resisting a pretty long while
2: oh death I mean I'm definitely that person like we have to have a lot of conversations about it I mean pals was probably six months and then I said okay look I'm gonna do this but if this fails it ain't on me because this was your idea and the I guess they laughed and said, Okay. Yeah, Lord said, I know
1: it was my idea.
2: I know it was my idea. So you just go do what you need to do. So I mean, maybe like for me, that's why Katie and I understand each other. Katie is hard headed. And she's gonna need to talk about it a little bit. And you're gonna need to, you know, have some logical explanation for whatever it is you think she needs to do. But when she does it, she's gonna do it wholeheartedly. Absolutely. But it's gonna take you a hot minute where it just doesn't with Caleb. Yeah. I can say to Caleb, The rule is you put your shoes here, facing this direction every time. And he's going to do that every single time.
1: Yeah.
2: And Katie's not.
1: Nope, that's not my thing. And
2: Katie's going to be like, well, you said shoes, but you didn't say flip flops. You said shoes. These are sandals. Yeah. Well, these are water shoes. So is that different? That's why I put them by the other door. I mean, like.
1: I only put one shoe.
2: She's going to challenge you. Um, But I can look at her and laugh because I know that's exactly how God feels about me. I mean, he's like, are we going to do anything the easy way? Like, I'm going to say go, and you're just going to go. And I'm like, well, I hope before I'm dead that happens. Like, I get better at it. Um, Still not great at it. Because most of the time, what he is calling me to do, I don't actually want to do it.
1: Yeah, you know, because it's scary. But once you get started, every one of those things has turned out to be an amazing thing. Absolutely. It's just the starting that's the problem.
2: Well, it's it's Satan. God says, hey, you know, maybe you should call and check on. And I'm like, I mean... I mean, I could, and, and then Satan's like, what are you doing? They're going to think you're crazy. You're going to call this person and say, I feel like the Holy Spirit led me to tell you this. They're going to think you're nuts. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that does feel nuts. And so I go back and forth and back and forth. But I mean, here's the thing. Once he tells you to do something, he's going to keep on you until you do it. I mean, I had this feeling Tuesday. Listen to the podcast. This that crazy feeling, um, and I'm like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and then it just keeps getting stronger and it keeps getting stronger. And the and I know that that's what he was leading me to do because the minute I called and said, "Okay, I'll do your stupid podcast," just tell me when it was gone. Yeah,
1: and that's why I tried to schedule you as fast as possible. Right,
2: too. because I told you if Satan tried to steal it, I was not fighting him for it. <laughs> I was just gonna <laughs> let him have it. But that's the reality of it. Yeah. Um, not everybody's going to understand what I'm talking about. Um, honestly, me and Martha and Kelly Gavush did a Bible study for months because it just became apparent that where we had been taught a ton about God and a ton about Jesus, I knew nothing about the Holy Spirit. And as I started going through the Bible and really studying that and understanding that, that was the game changer. Yes, I tell people that's the difference in teaching people how to take the stairs and showing people there's an elevator. I mean, we're probably all going to get to the same place. I just feel like some people make it harder than it has to be because they don't understand. The Holy Spirit's the elevator.
1: Yeah, there's this line about a uh, cop saying, you don't run from me because the only difference is if you run, you're going to go to jail tired. And I, I'm not sure if there's not a version of that for Christians, you know. Huh? You can work and work and work and work. You're going to go to heaven tired. Well Or you can rest in Christ. You can follow the Spirit's lead. You can let him fuel you and you'll get there. And you'll get there full of energy instead of tired.
2: I've done both. You know. And one will kill your faith. Mm-hmm. And one doesn't. Yeah. Um. You know, the try harder, be better, do better. It's like a bad video game. You know, you fail, you hit reset, and you get up in the morning and you try a little harder and you, you work a little harder. But the truth is what I was doing is exactly what I just said. I was working for my salvation. Yeah. I was working not to lose my salvation. I was working to be loved by God and come to find out I wasn't required to do any of that.
1: You're working from it, not for it.
2: Which is totally different. Entirely. Because I can love you from the love I've been given and I can forgive you from the forgiveness that I have been given. But if I'm working for my forgiveness, I don't have the energy to forgive you too.
1: Sometimes I feel a little bit like a broker record on that sort of thing. I feel like... I feel like every time I'm in a pulpit or in a classroom, I'm saying some version of that message. But I'll stop saying it once people start getting it. And what's amazing is people get it. And when they get it, it changes things. But it's amazing how long it takes us to get that.
2: Well, because you're undoing what so many people have been taught. Yeah. You know, I mean, I remember being a little kid in Bible class and them saying, here's the Ten Commandments. You're not supposed to break these. I mean, to be honest, when I was eight years old, I didn't even know what most of them meant. But these are God's rules. And then from there, I became a teenager and they said, well, those 10 were great. But here's 40 more. And this is how you dress. This is how you talk. These are the friends you make. These are the people you associate with. And it was more rules that we're never really that great at. And then you get to high school and it's more rules. And then you leave high school and go into adult and it's more rules and those rules are crushing because we never get them right. I refer to it as the prison cell and I feel like not teaching grace, not teaching mercy, not teaching. Here's the boundaries that God set up for you, not to steal your joy, but to keep you safe. I mean, we have boundaries at our house for our kids too. It was almost that deal breaker. If you ever go over the guardrail, uh, I mean, he may or may not let you back in. It just depends on yeah, who knows, <laughs> you know, depends on how public it was. And then, you know, we'll give you the, the guidelines to, you know, replenish yourself. And so that for me, that was very freeing. It was like once I realized it really didn't have anything to do with me. As far as did I get to keep it or did I not get to keep it or did I have to earn it or did I not have to earn it? That was like being released yeah. freedom, which was stupid. Because the doorknob was on my side the whole time. Like, you know, you're waiting for someone to say, good job, you're good enough. Yeah. Way to be a super Christian. I mean, I know you're tired and your faith is really not there, but hey, you it looks good on the outside. Check the right boxes. As long as, I, I think sometimes we have taught people that as long as it looks good, we'll play the game. Yeah. I mean, as long as it looks like your marriage is great and your kids are well behaved and you know, you're feeding the hungry and... Whatever else we're out here doing, as long as it looks good, it must be good. And it was startling to me through my journey how many times I learned it wasn't. It was and that. instead of people reaching out for help to say, this is broken, it just ended in disaster and no one even knew until it happened. Yeah, And I think that's not what the world wants from us.
1: Not at all. It's not what Jesus wants from us. It's not what you want for your kids.
2: And so I think beautifully broken is a thing. And that's kind of what we are my story is a hot mess like from the beginning to today i mean it's just crazy and every time i put my hands in and just mess it up really big and then he comes in and cleans it back up and but that's christianity yeah. because i do feel wholeheartedly that the reason the spirit will call me is because i have never met anyone after going to them that ended our conversation with wow you are so smart wow your timing is perfect but every time every single time at the end of that conversation that i mean there's even been times i was like this was totally irrelevant i don't even know you know and they they were like oh wow i've been praying about that and what you just said is the answer to that i'm like oh well okay cool um they, they never say, wow, you're so smart. How did you read my mind? They say, wow, God is really good. Yeah. And this is how he answered my prayer. Well, I think he uses me because nobody is going to think it was me. Yeah. You know, like maybe he uses his weakest, most broken people so that nobody mistakes who's sending the message. I'm cool with that.
1: Talking donkeys
2: much? Yeah. I mean, absolutely.
1: You know, it's a good, good lesson. I think you're right. I think God likes to be used in the ways where we can't steal the credit. So he wants to do it in a way that demonstrates that it was him, not us.
2: See how safe he feels with me?
1: Yeah, Something like that. But
2: I mean, honestly, that's never happened. Ever. But I've had really crazy conversations with people. They're like, that's really weird. You know. Yeah. You showed up at the right moment. And I'm thinking, well, that wasn't on me because I didn't know that you were going through a hard time. It's just I got up this morning. and was like, hey, you know, I should probably check on so-and-so. And the timing was right. That's not me. I didn't know that. He knew that. He's good. He's great. Um, and I always feel bad for people who don't understand that. Like how freeing it is to know I'm not in control of any of it. I just have to eventually be willing to go when he says go. And yeah. his mercy is that he gives me that time to be really unsure. And I still go. He doesn't care that I'm not immediately obedient. And so when I hear people say test the spirit, I'm thinking I probably test the spirit, but maybe not in the way they mean in the Bible. You know, like. yeah. But I always know it's him because it's nothing I'm ever like, oh, my gosh,
1: that's going to be fun. Yeah, Usually the devil's temptations are do this thing that sounds fun that you want to do. Gods are usually the ones that are that does not sound like fun.
2: I think of it as comfort. Yeah, that's how I discern if it's something I'm super comfortable with and I would be super excited to go do. It's probably
1: Satan tempting me. So that's how you know that God sent me to your life because I make you so uncomfortable.
2: I thought God sent me to your life and I assumed it was humility. He said. He has Joanne at church, and he has Monica every single day when he drops his kids off. And then at some point, you got out of hand, and he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put them there together.
1: That's why I have Saturdays. It's my day to recover.
2: Yeah, but I mean, sometimes I see you on Saturday. I mean, it's like we keep you humble. I'm not as good at it as Joanne. But one day, one day, I'm going to be. She's had more practice than you. Yeah, but I mean, that is crazy. That's how our journey started was... A friend mentioned Leslie needed a babysitter. And, you know, it's funny because when I took Caleb, I was like, I'm only going to have him for like three months. Yeah. And then Oops. they should have an opening at a daycare. And Mike laughed so hard. He was like, that'll never happen. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. I don't want to get back into this. You know, it's so time consuming. And it did not happen that way.
1: And I'm glad it didn't.
2: Me too. I- I've really enjoyed having that season with them. Um, it's not for everybody. I get yeah. told that all the time. Like, I would rather dig ditches than have a house full of kids. I would rather have a house full of kids than have, you know, 50 adults that I had to deal with every day. Yeah. Um, and there's something about getting to invest in that that's a lifetime. Oh, and watching them grow. and. We've yeah. been there for all the important stuff and not birthdays and teeth. But, you know, I was there when Caleb learned how to read. I got to watch him can you read me a book to can I read you a book? Those are amazing moments that you get to be a part of. And I think that was just my calling. I've always been that way. Always been really good with kids. Always enjoyed that. And so I think God just used that to prepare me for what was going to happen next in my life.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Monica, I know we could probably go all day. Sure. But we probably shouldn't.
2: Let's don't. I got kids to pick up. Yes, mine. Yes. Uh,
1: And the longer we go, the more likely it is one of us says something that gets one of us fired. And by one of us, I mean me. Probably, yes. So thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Thank you for sharing what God's been up to. And friends, thank you so much for listening. Uh, We appreciate that you would download this and that you share it with friends and that you review and all that stuff. It's just really cool that uh, you would give us this time of your life to let somebody share a God story with you. So until next time, um, I can't wait to hear what God's up to in your story.
0: Thanks for listening to Rough Drafts. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, help us spread the word by leaving a rating and review. Until next time, let's keep looking for how God writes His love into our stories.